The following is a podcast from One Community Church. Join us as Pastor Joel Hendricks shares this week's message. Let me ask you a question. Is it well with you this morning? When the doctor comes in and says you've got short time to live, is it well with you? When you get a knock on the door and you find out that something's happened to somebody that you love, is it well with you? When you turn on the news and everything that you see is violence and hatred, is it well with you? This song was taken from a hymn written in 1871 by Horatio Spafford. Because of the great fire in 1871, he lost his son. His family in 1873 decided to take a trip back to Europe. And because of the fire, he had to stay back. And take care of his, of his business. Trying to, trying to make things work. And so he sent his wife and four girls on ahead of him. Crossing the Atlantic back to Europe. Their ship crashed with another ship. And went down. He uh, received a telegram. Saying all is lost. From his wife. His wife was the only survivor. And so as he met back up with her and they crossed back over the Atlantic around that same spot, he penned the words to this song, It is well with my soul. Now, with all of the things that are going on in our world today, it's hard to say that, isn't it? It's hard to say it is well with my soul. You see, it was just a couple of weeks ago for some reason, and I, and I never do this. I never open my phone at night and look at things, but for some reason I did, and it happened to be the night that there was that mass killing in Dallas, Texas. And you see, it was a short couple of weeks ago on a Sunday after we left here that we found out this happened again in Baton Rouge. Some of you were not alive, which means we're getting old. But I can remember September 11th, 2001, where I was and what I was doing. I was on staff at another church. And early that morning, news came in that something bad was going on. And this was before the age of all this was going on with technology. And you could look on your phone. We had flip phones back then, I guess. And so we, we figured out what was going on and... We found out that terror had hit our land. And I can remember a sense of heaviness, a sense of sorrow that came about me. And whenever I feel sorrow, my tendency is to back up, to back into my own self, to find something quiet. And I can remember 
even then, I would go upstairs to the sanctuary of the church and just sit around the piano and start playing just to get my mind off of what was going on and then what was what I was needing to do next. And I, and I can remember, as I'm sure you can, that sense of heaviness that we felt. Every time that something goes wrong, that's a sense of sorrow. That's a sense of heaviness that is on us. I can remember, um, I've been doing ministry for a while now in a church that I served at years and years ago. I can remember a funeral that I did, I sang at. And I, I can remember being on stage waiting for the family to come in. And this was an elderly couple. The, uh, the wife had died. They, they had been physically apart because of sickness. One had been living in a rest home one place and one at a, a nursing facility at, at um, a different place. But yet, there's still that bond and connection. And I, I, I will never forget the sound I heard as they wheeled him in, in a wheelchair. That sense of pain and sorrow, knowing that his wife of over 50 years had passed away and that they would be physically separated from this earth. Sorrow defined by, by, uh, by Webster is, is a feeling of sadness or grief caused especially by the loss of someone or something or a cause of a grief or a sadness. When that sense of sorrow and heaviness starts coming over you, you can physically feel something on you. You can physically feel pressure. It's almost like somebody's laying on top of you. And it's, sometimes it's kind of hard to breathe. And sometimes it's, you just feel like you can't get away. I don't know about you, but especially during this time, it feels like in our country that there's this pressure that, that, that we can't relieve. It seems like every day that something else is going on. It seems like that something or someone is doing something. And it just seems like you're just waiting for Jesus to come back, right? And we worry. I, I have never seen so many different views politically as I have now. And to be honest with you, you do it, I don't care. You're not going to see me do anything because, I'll tell you in just a second, it doesn't matter to me. Now, yes, you can say it's your country, you need to worry. Yes, I pray for my country, pray for my leaders. But if you are dependent upon who is elected in November, upon how you feel, how you live, then you need to do some checking yourself. Because nobody... controls you except you. You are the one that's going to make the decisions. It doesn't matter who's elected what. And to be honest with you, here's the secret. You go over in 1 Peter, 
He talks about how we're aliens. We're travelers. That's all we are here upon this earth. Yes, it does matter. But it cannot overpower you to where you're physically pressed. It's, it would be the same as if you would go to a foreign country and be so upset and sick about how things are going on. You're not a, you're not a resident of that country. We're just a temporary resident here. Now, God has called us to be salt and to be light, yes. He's, he's called us to make a difference. But he, he doesn't want us to be sorrowful for this world because this world is on its way to destruction. So I wanted this morning just to give you a little bit of introduction before I get to the meat here about what sorrow is. And there's two different kinds of sorrow. There's sorrow of the world, worldly sorrow. And there's godly sorrow. And, then, and I'm going to give you some scriptures here in just a few minutes to, to look at that. Uh, but let me give you three different types or three different things about worldly sorrow first. And again, this is just kind of a quick introduction to what I want to get to. Worldly sorrow deals with how we feel. How I feel. For instance, if I do something wrong and you catch me in that act, I'm more than likely going to say what? I'm sorry. Right? If I catch my girls doing something wrong, first thing they're going to say is, I'm sorry. Now, do they mean it? Who knows? Worldly sorrow means that you've caught me and I'm sorry because of the consequences that I'm going to get. If you, if you leave today and you get in your car and you drive up this road that's 45 miles an hour and you get caught doing 55 miles an hour, you're going to tell that officer probably, I'm sorry. It'll never happen again. I won't let it happen again. I, 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 I was in, the kids were screaming. I was trying to get home. My, my dinner's about to burn. Something's going on. I promise it'll never happen again. And what's going to happen? It, it, it's going to happen again. That's how worldly sorrow is. Worldly sorrow is just fixing what's wrong right now upon how we feel. Secondly, worldly sorrow beats us down. And how I mean that is, you ever get that sense when you do something wrong? And you do it over and over again? And you can't seem to make the right decisions? You just get that sense of, ah, I'll never get that right. Or you're never good enough to do it right. How can you do this right? God, help me when I tell my kids that. Even though I'm frustrated because I do the same things over and over again. But this world in its sorrow will tell you, you're never good enough. You're never quite fixed. You're never good enough to be anything wrong. But God never intends you to be beat down. 
God wants you to recognize the error of your ways. And he wants you to confess those and to live. Romans 3.10 says that no one is righteous, not even one. And so if, if you ever get the sense of, I can never do it right. Why am I always messing up? Look to your left. Look to your right. Look in front of you. Look in behind you. They've done it wrong too. Even though it seems like some have it fixed and some have it made, I guarantee you they're going through the same stuff that you are. No one's got it figured out. And see, that's the problem that we get into. We, we, we hold ourselves to some kind of standard that, that we can't live up to. The only standard that we live up to is Jesus Christ himself, who was the only perfect person. And he had to die for us. So stop holding yourself up to the person beside you or the person next to you or your neighbor or your friends or God help you somebody on Facebook that looks like they have it made and I guarantee you that they don't. Worldly sorrow, thirdly, ends in death. It ends in death. You see... All of this is going to go away. This body, your body, this building, this earth, everything will be destroyed. It's going to end in death. And so, yes, we get upset when people die. And we get sorrowful. And there's nothing wrong with that. Because remember when Lazarus died? Uh, remember the story? What did Jesus do? What's the shortest Verse in the Bible, he wept, which to me is more than cried. He wept. He was sorrowful in that moment for somebody who he cared for that died. And so don't hear me this morning saying it's not important to care. And it's not important to feel anything when things go wrong. Because it, it is. We have emotions. Because Jesus himself wept. But go back and read the story. Jesus didn't. Stay in a state of depression. You know, I said before that one thing that I like to do is play music or listen, listen to music. And, and yes, that, that gives me a sense of worship. It gives me a sense of time where I can get focused and I can shield out everything that's going on around me. But if you're not careful, what you can do is you can stay in that. And God never intended us to stay on top of the mountain. And, and, and you're thinking, what are you talking about? He never intended for us to stay all the time here in this, this auditorium worshiping. Yes, one day when he comes back and we're around his throne forever and ever, we're going to worship him forever and ever. For eternity. But think back to the mountain of transfiguration. Think back when God revealed himself to Peter, James, and John there with Jesus on the mountain. Peter wanted to build a tabernacle and stay there. Because it was a good thing. It's a good thing when you come in and worship. The worship this morning was incredible. Just listening to you guys cry out to our God. Don't know if you can hear yourself, but from up here, it is incredible hearing you worship. And it is very important that we do that. 
But don't wallow in that. Don't stay there because we have a purpose here on this earth. Because things are going to die, we have a purpose to go out and to teach and to preach and to disciple as he sent out his disciples before he went back into heaven. You see, it's easy to put the headphones on and it's easy just to turn the music up. Whatever kind of music you're listening to. It's easy just to just tone it out. But when you take the headphones off, when the battery dies, when the song's over, you're still there. But what God wants you to understand is that He's still there too. He hasn't left you. He's the one that created the winds and the waves. They call Him by name. They know, they know that He's the one that all He has to say is be still. And they stop. He's the one that created the mountain that, that is in front of you. And that His voice, He can cast that mountain into the sea. And it's gone. He's the one that made every one of you and me this morning, calls you by name, knows the number of hairs that are on your head from the most detail of your life that everybody knows to the little bitty secrets that are way deep down. He knows how you hurt. He knows how you are created because He's the one that made you. He's the one that said, live. He's the one that knows When you get that news that you have a loved one that has a short time to live. He's the one that knows when you're at that hospital expecting to hear a heartbeat from a baby and there's nothing there. He knows you. He's never left you. And praise God, He never will leave you. He promised to never leave us nor forsake us. Let me shift gears right quick and go into what godly sorrow is. Um, I promise I'll get to our text here in just a little bit. The 2 Corinthians 7, 8-11. Uh, let me give you a little background. Well, we have a 2 Corinthians, and many of you who are scholars have heard this before, but for those who haven't, just let me give you a little brief story here. 2 Corinthians is most likely the third letter that Paul wrote to the people, uh, to uh, the church at Corinth. The first letter... It's gone. We don't have any of that. But it's evidence, especially in the book of 2 Corinthians here in this passage, where he talks about the letter, the severe letter that he had to write to them. And in verse 8 of chapter 7, um, he says, I am not sorry that I sent that severe letter to you, though I was sorry at first, for I know it was painful to you for a little while. Now I am glad I sent it, not because it hurts you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow God wants His people to have. So you were not harmed by us in any way. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. 
Just see what this godly sorrow produced in you. Such earnestness. Such concern to clear yourselves. Such indignation. Such alarm. Such longing to see me. Such zeal and such a readiness to punish wrong. You showed that you have done everything necessary to make things right. If you go back and you read through 1 Corinthians the book that is called 1 Corinthians, Paul, Paul mentions several different things in that letter that would um, allude to what he wrote in the first letter. He talks about um, abstaining from sexual immorality, um, giving food to idols. Um, talks about the, the different types of worship. Um, he talks about in 1 Corinthians toward the end, we use when we do Lord's Supper or uh, communion together. And so there was all kinds of stuff going on in the Corinthian church that Paul was heavy about. And so Paul wrote this first letter, which we don't have, it, um, have that to read. But he talks about those things and he corrects those. And apparently it was pretty severe. It was pretty straight to the point. Have you ever had to call somebody out? Have you ever seen in a godly way? Have you ever seen somebody living a lifestyle in such a way that you had to call them out for that or you had to speak to them? That's what Paul was doing here. Paul loved the Corinthian church. Paul planted the Corinthian church and he has such a passion for them. He hated to see how they had reverted back to some of their previous ways. Um, this was a very pagan world, pagan society that they lived in. And Paul was calling them out. Let me, let me point out two or three things that Paul says that godly sorrow does. Um, first of all, it First of all, godly sorrow brings about great desire. It brings about a great desire to pursue righteousness. When you pursue God, when you have that godly sorrow where somebody, something is going on that, that God has placed upon your heart, that's a burden. You have the passion to Pursue his righteousness to, to pursue his, his godliness. You also have a desire to keep yourself clean. When you are moved, when you are full of that desire of God, you have to have a desire to keep everything else out of your life that is contrary to God's word and to God's movement. Secondly, God, godly sorrow brings about passion. Do you remember, possibly for some of you here this morning, that this has been recent, but for some of us, it's been a while, and it's good to get renewed about our passion for God. But remember when you first got saved, how on fire you were? How you were ready to go out and knock on doors. And everybody you saw, you wanted to 
tell them about Jesus. That's that godly sorrow that he's placed on us. That burden for this lost world. Not about this world because again, this world's dead. It's dying. It has... It's a ticking time bomb and it's waiting for God to say, that's it. Now, we... We get into a lot of discussion, and everybody wants to say, this is happening, so it's close. I, I know things are going to get a lot worse before they get a lot better. And it seems like what we live in, you know, you think, and you, and you can't help but say it, you don't want to say it, but it seems like, what else can happen? How can it get much worse? But it's going to get worse. I hate to break it to you this morning. I hate to bust your bubble and you're expecting some happy message this morning that says it's going to be okay. Well, it will be okay. But this is not going to be okay because this is, this is sentence to die. Godly sorrow also, first it brings about um, a great desire, brings about passion, but also brings about repentance. Repentance, uh, repent, is a nice big church word that simply means if I'm walking in this direction right here and I'm going the wrong way, that I stop and I turn around this way and I go a different direction. I go the right direction. You see, if I'm going to a place, wherever that place may be, and I'm trying to get there on my own, and I don't ask for directions, I don't look at a map, I don't pull out my phone and say, take me here, I run the risk of going in the wrong direction because I don't know the way. You see, ever since... Genesis chapter 3. When Adam and Eve sinned by eating of the fruit, you and me and everyone and everything upon the face of this earth was given a death sentence. Because we were apart from God. You see, apart from God, there is no life. There's death. And see, when God created the heavens and the earth, he talks about in Genesis chapter 3 where he would come down in the cool of the evening and walk and would talk with his creation. And so one day, the serpent got to Eve and started talking about this nice little piece of fruit. Surely God did not mean that one. Surely it wouldn't hurt you to eat that just one time. So her, so she and, and Adam took it and ate it. Chapter 2 ends with they were, they were naked and they didn't know. They weren't naked and afraid. 
that they were naked and didn't know because that had not been revealed to them. Because it didn't matter. All they cared about was their creator. And that fellowship and that communion that they had with him. But when sin entered the picture, so did death. And so we have sickness. So we have pain. So we have things that aren't pleasant anymore. You see, if you continue reading in chapter number 3, it talks about how God made them skins from the animals to cover themselves. That was the first death. And it goes on and on, talks about how they were removed from the garden, from that place where God had intended fellowship with His creation, never to be allowed there back again. And from that point on, the only way that people could get to God, something had to die. And you, you read all through the Old Testament how Something was sacrificed in order for communion, for worship with God to happen. Until God sent His only Son. Put up Isaiah 53 for me, please. He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was for our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought we thought his troubles were, were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our, our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. You see, Jesus came and took all the sorrows, everything that you and I had done, are doing, or will ever do. And those sorrows were laid upon him. There's a great old hymn that says these words. Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Lifted up was he to die. It is finished was his cry. Now in heaven exalted high. Hallelujah. What a Savior. When he comes, our glorious King, always ransom home to bring, then anew the song will sing. Hallelujah. What a Savior. You see, the only way for us to have that eternal sacrifice was that God himself in the form of the son Jesus Christ came as a babe. All of the sins of humanity that had ever been, will ever be 
was laid upon him, was prophesied through the prophet Isaiah hundreds of years before Jesus even came to this earth. And as he... Think back to the garden. Right before Jesus was carried off to be beaten, to be tried, and then to be crucified. Think about all the things that he went through in the garden. All of that burden, all of that sorrow, all of that anguish. So much, in fact, that the Bible talks about that he sweat drops of blood. I dare say that none of us here this morning have cried and wept so hard that blood has come out. Now, I'm sweating this morning, but it's not because I've got blood coming out. Because it's hot. But there in the garden, all of those sorrows laid upon him. As he walked and he carried the cross, all of your sins, all of my sins forevermore, he carried on that cross. As they put that cross in the ground and as they nailed his hands to it. When he said, it is finished, signifying that his work on earth was done. He hung there for you and for me. You see, all the sorrow that has ever been was on his shoulders, was on him. And he hung there for you and me because he desires that one-on-one relationship with each and every one of us. And you see, some of us get so entangled And so worried about this world, about who's going to be elected president, who's going to be elected, whatever. It doesn't matter. Because we are not citizens of this world. Yes, I am a citizen of the United States. But I am a citizen of a higher place called heaven. Whose kingdom and whose maker is my heavenly father, God Almighty. And who has intentions for me one day to recall back to him. Where we will be created anew. Listen to this as John writes in a revelation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. And the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride. Beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He live, he will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. I love this part. He will wipe away every tear from their eye, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. You see, our sorrow here on this world is temporary. Because God knew, as Paul wrote to uh, the church in Rome, 5, I think it was verse 6. We were dying, but at the right time, God came. Jesus came and gave life. You see, his death brought life. And that's something that, if you've never experienced that, you don't understand that this morning because... 
God desires that relationship with you. He doesn't want to beat you down. He doesn't want to tell you how bad you are. He doesn't care what you did last night. He only cares about right now. And all you have to do is but ask Him for forgiveness. Say, I'm sorry. Repent, as I said before. You're going this way, which is the wrong way. You turn around and you go the other way, which is right in His arms. You see, He will hold you. He will carry you. He has promised us not to leave us nor forsake us. He has given us the eternal vision, what will be, what He created in Eden. He created a place where we could all fellowship together. We could all have that communion and that oneness with Him. But because Adam sinned, all of humanity was on its way to death. But you see, as John wrote here in the Revelation, one day that new heaven and that new earth will be created, that we can have that oneness and that fellowship with Him again. And again, all we have to do is but ask. All you have to do is say, God, I'm sorry. Let me give you some of the words that you can say. It doesn't matter if you repeat the words I say. It doesn't matter because those words have to be from you. Uh, let's bow our heads this morning. Because I feel like there's someone here this morning that you're wrestling with sorrow. You're wrestling with pain that you never were intended to bear. God is giving you a way out. And his name is Jesus. And it's very simple. You say something to this effect. Again, it's not in my words. It's your words. God, I'm sorry. I realize that I've tried to do this my own way. I realize, God, that I've been going in the wrong direction. Forgive me. Forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of my sorrow. Make my life clean again. Thank you for listening to the One Community Church Podcast. If you'd like to join us for worship, our service begins at 10 a.m. on Sundays. Or check us out on the web at onechurchsc.org. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. We hope you have enjoyed this message and may God bless.